0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Coastline Covenant podcast. Today, I have Tim Morey, who is a pastor, professor, church planting extraordinaire author on the podcast. And we talk about everything the ups and downs of planting a church. We talk about Dallas Willard. We talk about success and failure. It's a great. Listen, if you've enjoyed the podcast so far, I promise you you will enjoy this episode. And Tim wrote a book. It's called Planting a Church Without Losing Your Soul." And I love this book. I think it's great, and I want you to read this book. So that's why we are giving a copy away. That's right. You can win a free book. and all you have to do is listen to the podcast and do one more thing. So make sure you listen to this episode and hang out till the end, where I've recorded an outro with information on how you can win a copy of Tim's book, Planting a Church Without Losing Your Soul. So enjoy this interview, Hang out till the end, and, uh, we don't see you. We'll see you next week, or whatever the outro is. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the coastline covenant podcast. Uh, as I've said many times, this whole thing is just an elaborate ruse to get me to talk to people. I think not only I want to hear from, but I think our coastline family should hear from. And today sitting across from me is my new best friend. We, uh, Just met today, (laughs) fast (laughs) friends. Uh, He is an author, church planter, someone that some people in our community might know. I'm sitting with Tim Morey. Hello, Tim. Hello. Good Good to to be here. Good to have you. Um, The book is How to Plant a Church Without Losing Your Soul. Um, Cannot recommend this book enough. Uh, Mm. I was already telling you over coffee, but I got this book from a mutual friend of ours pretty much two days after I left Rolling Hills. And, and I, I think I've oh. plowed through it twice since then. It, it is such a good book. Um, mm. and, and I really want to talk about the book and everything. But before that, maybe we can do a little bit of context. All right. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you doing what you do? And uh, how, can people, how can people say, oh, I know that guy? <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, well, okay, let's see here. So uh, I'm Tim Morey. I'm married. I have my wife, Samantha, of 24 years. I've got two teenage daughters, Abby and Hannah, and I live in the glorious city of Torrance, California. I've been there for, for a good long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm where are you from initially? San Diego is where I come from. Wonderful. So I haven't moved all that far. Just a couple hours north, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's been great. We actually we love Torrance. and uh, Yeah. We've lived there for a good long time. I've been pastor at Life Covenant Church, which we founded in our living room uh, 18 years ago. So our church, our church is now an adult, 18. Wow! So I know we can smoke and, and vote, vote totally. It's very go to exciting. war. We could go to war. Hopefully, that won't be part of the equation. But uh, <laughs> but yeah. So that is that's my. Primary job, you could say. Uh, right behind that, I'm a professor at Fuller Seminary too, so I teach church planning there, and I'm I'm uh, on the board of the church planning division of Fuller Seminary, and uh, and then as you alluded to, when I have time, I also write things. So and this is your second book, uh, second book, and I've contributed chapters to a couple other books on church planning too. But yeah, second full book.
0: So I one of my wonder, I, you know, I'm wondering, was the book kind of like, okay, I have all of this knowledge about church planning and I want to, you know, give it, or was it like a specific, you're on the board at Fuller and you're like, I'm seeing so many people plant churches the wrong way or or not yeah. how I would do it. Like what's, what's the main vision behind this book?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, interestingly, the way it came about was one of my colleagues at Fuller, uh, we had just gotten done speaking at an event and he pulled me aside and he said, Hey, uh, wherever we're at, whatever topic they give you, you always bring it back to the health of the pastor. Hmm. I think that should be your next book. And um, I didn't realize until he said it, but it was like, man, that's true. That's kind of, in one way or another, that's all I ever talk about when I'm in front of a group of pastors is about the spiritual formation of the pastor, the spiritual health of that person, and how that translates into healthy ministry and the converse, how unhealth in the pastor also translates into unhealth for the ministry. And uh, so, yeah, that ended up being, being this book. There was nothing else like it in the church planning space. Uh, no other books about kind of spiritual formation for church planners. So I pitched it to my publisher and they said, yeah, let's do it.
0: Nice. Good. So talk a lot about formation. The book is very much about that, obviously, without losing your soul. Um, Is that something that you are passionate about because you have had such a good experience of being such a spiritually formed pastor, or was this from a place Mm -hmm. of depletion and you went on a journey and you want people to go on the same journey?
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, Definitely the latter. (laughs) Uh, So uh, yeah, it's certainly been a journey for me. Uh, I think um, I've always been very drawn to spiritual formation uh, just my own walk with Jesus. Before I was a pastor, I came under the influence of a, a man named Dallas Willard, yeah. his teachings, and he was super formative for me. And and then as a pastor, I guess I just started to discover how much I really needed a, a better formed soul. Uh, I I think of my, my first few years in ministry as a staff pastor. Um, I was really a mess. I mean, mm-hmm. it being a pastor and just the pressures there really exposed parts of me that were really immature that I didn't know yet were immature parts of me that were really wounded and unhealed. And I didn't know that they were wounded and unhealed. And I I really kind of had to deal with that. And I was, I was newly married too. So my wife was dealing with that too. Um, and uh, as well as, as uh, you know, the, Students I was attempting to lead, I was a college pastor, and uh i uh, I think i was was pretty rough around the edges um, so god was God was gracious. those I led were gracious uh and and that's kind of where my journey started of saying okay this this better get real hmm. because either I'm not going to be a pastor all that long if I don't grow deeper uh, with Jesus in some really important ways or I'm going to end up damaging a lot of people if God doesn't do some good work in me. So that's sort of how it came about for me.
0: Was there a catalyst, like one specific moment, or was it just the whole season you said rough around the edges? Did a trusted person in the process come to you and say, like, you really need to figure some things out, or were you just, (laughs) like, feeling like the way that you were living was unsustainable?
1: Yeah, more the latter. Mm -hmm. More the latter. There were no, like, big... Uh, quote-unquote, big things. Like, y- yeah, things like... Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it, it's not like I was falling grossly into sin or there are huge areas of immorality or uh, anything like that. It was just sort of this ongoing, repeated experience of bumping into these areas of my life where it's like, wow, I'm kind of screwed up right there. And I didn't know I was screwed up right there. And uh, so it, it really was just sort of a season. And the sustainability piece I mean that was part of it too was was uh, just wondering how long can I do this hmm. uh, am I still going to be a pastor when i'm you know when i'm thirty forty fifty sixty seventy uh, I hope so, but at this pace i won't be
0: so who who exposed that was that you was that the holy Spirit was that your wife who who was like this is not working
1: yeah, well, my wife was a huge part in that um, my wife is really insightful, really good with people. She's a marriage (laughs) and family therapist. So she's just very tuned in that way. And so she saw a lot of that, experienced a lot of that. Um, I think mentors and friends around me that were kind enough and courageous enough to say, Hey, that doesn't look right. What is that? Um, uh, that they were a big part of it. And, and probably my, um, I think somewhat the educational journey too. I ended up doing my doctorate with Dallas Willard and so that that was super helpful as well. That that helped refine some things also. I
0: can I cannot imagine having a conversation about spiritual formation with Dallas Willard. You
1: know it it's pretty intimidating even though like he's the most gentle presence or was, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. the most gentle presence, but but yeah. He's, he's kind of a big deal.
0: The biggest maybe in yeah. that world. That's, I mean, that's yes. like talking cars with Henry Ford. Like you, you, you <laughs> kind of yeah. came up with this whole thing. <laughs> yep. Um, yep. quick tangent, Yep. not tangent on the Dallas Willard topic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I talk about Dallas Willard a lot. I think a lot oh, of us nice. on staff really like him. Where yeah. would you tell someone, Hey, get into him via this resource?
1: Uh, I think the Divine Conspiracy right. is uh, it. It's kind of big, but if if you're not put off by the big, I'd say go Divine Conspiracy. Um, if you want something a little more bite size, I'd say pick up the Great Omission, which is is a collection of maybe seven to ten short essays. Give you a real good flavor of who Dallas is. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's good. Mm-hmm. I, I, I always love um, when I get people to recommend resources. Yeah. I think it's just, it's always really insightful to hear what has shaped you or, yeah. or, you know, what was important in this process. Um, I want to talk about planting a church in your living room. Yes. I think that that is kind of a romantic notion. You know, it feels <laughs> right. very Acts too. Yeah. We're yeah. doing it in our living room. What was the hardest part about doing a church in that small space?
1: Yeah. Uh, a couple of things were hard. I mean, one was uh, the fact that we're in a living room tells you that we were really small. Mm-hmm. And part of the pressure you're experiencing as a church planner is just, is this thing going to fly? Hmm. Right? And there's, there's an emotional component to that. You're super invested in this. and it you know, a new church plant is, is sort of like a newborn baby. There's just this sense of fragility to it. and it's like, okay, is, is this thing going to take? Uh, there's a financial pressure to it, right? If this thing doesn't go, how am I going to care for my family? Mm. Uh, there's, um, I'll say, an ego pressure. Uh, and I think as much as, as pastors, we would like to be free from that. There's a real pressure of, man, I'm going to be humiliated if this thing doesn't fly. Just the shame factor in that. So I'd say that's for me at least that was kind of the hardest part was looking around and going, okay, this is us. This is a good crew, great people. And, and I'd say probably half the people that were in our living room that first day are still with us 18 Mm. years later. But, um, but it was scary.
0: How did you care for people in that? Because I can sense that there's this intimacy there, but also their intimacy can be intimidating especially as yeah. a pastor, you know, with that. So, so how did you care for those people in the first season of Life Covenant?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I'll tell you kind of what I was tempted to do and then what I ended up doing. That's great. Uh, my temptation was to just be the sort of super present pastor to everyone. Hmm. You know, it's it's a small enough group of people at that point that that I can sort of directly pastor everybody, if that makes sense. Uh, that was the temptation. Uh, the problem with that is particularly if you're in a lead pastor role is then you become the bottleneck. Uh, you are then able to pastor as many people as you are able to pastor. Yeah. And, and like the number of people you can fit in the living room, that's probably the capacity of most pastors and most people. It's just kind of how we're wired. So uh, what I sort of disciplined myself to do at the Council of Those Wiser Than Me was to really invest heavily in two, three, four people within that group who were able to shepherd the rest of the church and really start us on that path of saying, "Okay, this isn't going to be a church that is dependent on my shepherding, my capacities, my personality, My teaching. This is going to be a church that's dependent on the body ministering to each other, which is uh, ironically, which is what Ephesians 4 tells us is the role of the pastor to equip the saints for works of service. So uh, we shepherded people by teaching those with gifts of shepherding to be
0: shepherds. That's fascinating. And that feels very. Counterintuitive in a little bit of it. like mm-hmm. you are the pastor of a small church. I think on paper someone would be like, Why aren't you pastoring everybody? Yeah. But um talk to me a little bit about the mindset behind that. Was that strictly from Ephesians 4? Or was that you just like looking around at your community saying, like, oh no, I have good people here? And yeah. the the growth of the church is dependent on them feeling like I'm pouring into them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think I think that knowledge came from a couple places, Uh, Ephesians 4. uh, I think I had some good teachers, good coaches who taught me this. So it was something I knew. Uh, I found the biggest barrier to it, though, was myself Hmm. and my own insecurities. Yeah. Oh, Uh, absolutely. So you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Ding, ding. when When you are that person and everybody looks to you and is like, hey, that's my pastor, and they're dependent on you in that way, it's very gratifying and so to uh to choose to set my ego aside and sort of that instant gratification and say okay we're we're going to try to set up a system here where it's not all about me and you know we we were talking earlier about the phenomenon of the celebrity pastor right and that's certainly that's like a mega church thing but it can happen just as easily in a small church where within that community, you are the celebrity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's sort of a perennial temptation for pastors to slip into that place where we are receiving people's adulation and we're feeding off of that, and we reward people's adulation by being ever-present to them, taking on roles that really we shouldn't, uh, and um, uh, by which I mean... Uh, not leaving space for the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. uh, working directly and working through other ministers in the church, other lay people in the church, uh, to to do His good work. And so we have to we have to tame our egos in order to get out of the way.
0: I mean, I have a lot of questions, <laughs> maybe offline about taming ego, mm-hmm. but i'm I'm wondering how did you then pastor people in that and saying like i'm I'm dependent on you as the pastor, yeah, like what kind of mindset shift do you think people had to go through to really embrace that model?
1: yeah, well, I think that was one of many areas where where I, I kind of had to say it out loud you know and and not just expect that people would catch it but but teach it you know and and in those early days in the living room, like I taught Ephesians four, and it's like, okay, listen, folks, this is the way that we've got to do this. And so, uh, one of the beautiful things about being a, a church plant is you've got a somewhat blank slate, and you've got an opportunity to lay down some fresh DNA and a fresh way of doing things. And so, uh, so we we did that, you know, and and most of the people in that that original core group were churched. So they had an expectation of what a pastor was and would do. And so we were just really intentional about saying, okay, we're going to rewire our brains on this. We are going to lay down maybe a different way than some of you have experienced of what it means to be the church and what the pastor's role is inside of that.
0: How long do you think it took for that to take?
1: (laughs) Um. I would say for most of the people it took right away. Uh, for some, it didn't take and they left. And, and that was okay. I mean, it's difficult when you've got this new fragile thing that you desperately want to see happen. It's very hard to say to people, you know, God bless you, but you'd, I think you'd be better somewhere else. Uh, but you need to do that if you're setting new DNA. You need to be clear about this is who we are. And and let people have permission to opt out if that's not what they want. Uh, so I guess maybe the combo of those factors. I mean, those who stuck around saying, "Yeah, I get this, and I want to do it this way," uh, made it an easier
0: process. So in the book, you talk a lot about the origins. And so let, let me let me hear about from living room to kind of where you are now. How how yeah. how was that? Um, how was that process for you? Obviously it's taken 18 years, as you said, you mm-hmm. know, you can vote now, yeah. but, but what were some of the biggest lessons that you had to learn in that? Cause I think a lot of people listening, you know, are in this new church plant that we're doing. And yeah. I think they hear about down the road, you have a building and you have <laughs> an established, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I want that, but you know, we're all, we're all in this process together. Right. So what were, what were some of the things that you had to learn mm. and you couldn't have, Learned any other way besides process?
1: Yeah, boy, that's the journey. It, you really learn it by doing. Uh, I, I think I, I would maybe say this: uh, you know, to the extent that that we've been able to become a fruitful church, it it has happened through persistence. Hmm. Uh, hmm. To use Eugene Peterson's phrase, a long obedience in the same direction. Right uh i mean I, I can think of of three maybe four specific seasons over the last 18 years where we were so close to to closing you know wow. where we were just right on the brink of this thing being no more um for you know various reasons once it was a recession and you know yeah. we had averaged uh, one one family per month moving out of the church, which in a church of at that point we were probably one hundred fifty people, you know, it's it's a ton. Um, other times there were there were other circumstances, but I think just persisting through those seasons that were really difficult or really dry, or where you are dealing with conflict, or uh, there is no money in the bank, or you know, name it, you experience it. Oh, and you know, over the course of this journey, just really digging in, praying, fasting with your team, uh calling out to God and and you know, saying, Okay, whatever you've got for us, w- we're gonna go there. Um, just drawing on his strength to be faithful. That's really been where the, the richest lessons have come.
0: Hmm. You have so the, the book is structured kind of like that's here are some things that you should be trying to not master mm-hmm. but like but family grow and, in yeah, yeah. exactly uh-huh. growing exactly so one one of the chapters is failure yes um what does it mean to fail in church planting but not have the church close
1: <laughs> oh i love that question so uh i had to undergo a mind mindset shift at one point where I think going into the church plant, I would have said failure means the church closes. Mm-hmm. Um, I came to a point where where that really changed for me, and it became failure means not being faithful to what I'm called to do. Uh, I think a church can be quote-unquote successful, meaning they're still in existence, maybe they're even growing, uh, but they have failed in the sense that They've compromised the message. Uh, they've turned a blind eye to areas of sin in the church. Uh, they've compromised uh, with either themselves or with with maybe other leaders or um uh well let me give you a real life example. So we we had a just a terrific leader in the church early on that uh, that I just loved, had a great relationship with. I drew a lot of comfort from this person's presence. Hmm. Um, I kind of felt like, okay, if, if this person's here, we're going to be okay. Um, but there was some problematic stuff going on with this person's spouse and some of their relationships in the church and um, things that that I knew I I needed to call out uh, because because uh, they were harmful to the body and... Um, and I didn't do it, because I, when it came down to it, I was afraid. You know, if if I lose this person's spouse, I lose this leader. And uh, ironically, I did eventually lose them anyway, but I was really marked by that. I was marked by my own failure to do in that moment what I was called to do. And here I was trying to avoid failure, uh, which I was defining as uh, the church declining, or the, you know, the church losing this person, or whatever it was. And and in reality the real failure was i needed to speak truth in a graceful way into somebody's life and i didn't do it because i was afraid
0: wow wow thank you for sharing that's very vulnerable that's mm-hmm. that's an incredible story and it's so helpful to hear someone say that failure isn't closing yeah failure isn't you know the end of the what you're doing. There, there are personal and moral failures along the way that, again, aren't marked by you leaving ministry or, you know, having to apologize in front of the congregation, but it's these personal things that are your actual calling yeah, that you yeah. can fail in. I think that is so helpful for us to hear. Mm. So let me ask you this. You, you've you never been a congregant in a church plant. You've only been the pastor in a church plant. Uh, true, yeah. So this maybe is out of your purview, but I, I imagine <laughs> it's not. What is a way that a congregant can fail the church plant?
1: Mm. Oh, man, that's interesting. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, let me come at it kind of sideways. Maybe, maybe the best way for me to answer that would be to say, I, I think that uh, to be a really terrific congregant in a church plant uh, would mean that you are actively leaning into your own relationship with Jesus, right? So I'm thinking of John 15 here, mm-hmm. uh, to, to abide in the vine, uh, to be connected to Jesus. This is where your life is going to be transformed. And one of the things Jesus says there in John 15 is that the result of that is fruit. He says, if you remain connected to me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So for me, sort of the ideal member of a church plant is somebody who is leaning deeply into Jesus and allowing his life to influence their presence, their actions, whatever ministry they have in the church uh, that would be that would be the person that's ideal uh, maybe to get to your actual question the um, so sort of the converse of that would be the person who uh, maybe is coming to this church plant uh, more from the posture of a consumer only. Um, uh, one one type of person that church plants attract is uh, folks who are kind of looking for the next new thing. And sometimes you you have this among congregants. You have folks who have tried this church and that church and this new church plant is kind of the, the shiny new object and they come for that reason. Uh, that's, that's not ideal. Uh, better is the person who's coming saying, okay, what is it that God wants to do in me? And how is that going to be manifested in the world?
0: Well, there you go. Coastline family. Listen to that. Mm -hmm. Um, another chapter in the book, uh, it's the closing chapter. So it must be the best one is family, right? That's (laughs) the last one. Um, that's a huge core piece value of coastline to be mm-hmm. fully family. Mm. How was, you know, this kind of family model, how was how it really successful or how was it really helpful for you in the beginning of life?
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Family has been a, a real core piece of the picture for us too. And, uh, I think for me in part that came came out of past experience. The, the two churches that I served prior to life were very large churches, and, uh, and a lot of very good things happened there. I'm very grateful for those experiences. But I learned something about me and something about church. Uh, one was that as, as a pastor, I was not wired to be that person who is up there preaching to people that he doesn't actually know, who hmm. don't actually know him. Uh, it it developed a longing in me to be part of a family-sized, family-esque church where uh, I I could know people's names and know their stories and know the names of their children. That was really important for me personally. Uh, The other part of that was was really kind of a philosophy of ministry question of saying, okay, uh, is it possible that we will make better disciples, which is, of course, our job as churches— that we will make better disciples if if the congregation is able to know one another by name and maybe know each other's stories, and um, as opposed to a situation where, where by sheer size, anonymity is built in, and you're not going to know 90% of the people that you worship with. Uh, so that question kind of drove us. Uh, what would it look like to plant a church where we are Are more relationally connected, are able to help each other grow well in Christ. And what if uh, we pray and just ask God to maybe let us express our growth via planting more churches instead of maybe just becoming Mm. a bigger and bigger and bigger church? So we we started asking questions like, what if we aspire to be ten churches of two hundred instead of one church of two thousand, that sort of thing. And so, so being a church that planted churches entered into our DNA right away. And, and that's been sort of one further manifestation of being a family-esque church is, uh, is that we've tried to grow in that way. And God's been really generous to us that we, we have been able to grow in that way.
0: So the family model is like probably one of the more successful ways of like launching a church, right? Like, you know, we we are talking about this now, but are there other models that you see, or like mentalities that people have, that you're like, oh, that's not going to work, or like, don't don't start with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, there are, though it's 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 hard to say, kind of what models do and don't work right. because it's so context specific. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. This, uh, there are. Uh, I've seen people take a, a really beautiful model and apply it in the wrong setting mm-hmm. and it just crashes and burns. Wow. And, and conversely too, I've seen people start out with some plans that just seem terrible and it goes, it does great because they understood the soil they were planting in and it, it's worked out for them.
0: That's good. I mean, you got to understand the soil. You do. That's good. That's a good, yeah. that can be the title of the episode, understand the soil or your next book. <laughs> Um, so last question I have for you, and this is a question I asked our previous church planting guests. When, if, did it not feel like a church plant anymore? When was your moment where you're like, okay, we're off to the races. We're not, Hmm. we're not identifying as a plant any longer, or has that happened or does that ever happen?
1: It hasn't really happened for us. At, At least for me, it still feels that way. Uh, maybe if you ask the average person in our church, they may or may not answer that way but i still think of us as a church plant everything we do feels like an experiment you know we're we're still trying this trying that um things feel uh, less fragile than they did 18 years ago which is a blessing uh but it still feels uh, it feels raw hmm. messy very personal and those actually are all things we we really embrace we really like the sense of being part of this adventure, being part of this story that God is writing. So uh, I think we've kind of fought to maintain that. And in that way, it, it does still kind of feel like a church plant.
0: I, I, maybe this is the wrong way to ask that, but like, are you ever going to feel like, like, okay, I'm ready for it to not be an adventure anymore? Like, or do you think <laughs> that's a vital piece of your church DNA? Uh,
1: I think, I think for us it's pretty vital. <laughs> I mean, 18 years. You, 18 You, you had years. time to change it at some point. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's going to change. I, I think uh, uh, actually it's one of our core values is, really? is brave hearts. It's risky faith.
0: Oh, that's great. And so
1: we, we have always tried our best to say yes when God opens a door, whether we feel ready for it or not. You know, we we planted our first church out of life when we were two, you know, we, we did not, we were not ready for that, but, uh, we've always kind of leaned into that pattern of saying, okay, God, if, if it looks like you're in this, we're going to do our best to trust you and follow you
0: in. That's a great, great word. And I I like the idea of risky. That's kind of some of coastlines language too, to make joyful Mm -hmm. and courageous followers of Jesus Christ. Ah, That's beautiful. And that's, that's, that's what we're trying to do. And you've set a good model. And man, this book, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, Written, I would say with the planter in mind, but also the congregation as well, which I really appreciate. And that's why we'll give a copy away. But thank you so much for giving your time away, spending some time with me today and uh, jumping on the podcast. Tim, appreciate you so much, man. Thanks for coming on. And uh, thanks for listening. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Tim. I know that I did. And, you know, we talked about his book extensively. And so we want to give a copy away. And here's how you can win a copy of Tim's book. We are going to record a question and answers podcast, which means we are going to take questions from all of our listeners. We're going to organize them and, talk about that. And they can be any type of questions, deep theological questions, like who are the sons of God and Job? And who do you think that, you know, that beast in revelation is, or, you know, like what's your favorite vacation spot or what's your favorite worship song or what's your in and out order? Things like that. The questions can range from super deep, intense and super fun and relaxed and casual, just questions to get to know the coastline staff. And so we really want to engage in that way. And so we are hoping to get some questions. And if you submit a question by July 19th, At my email, hbabcock at coastline.family, you'll automatically be entered into winning a book. And we will randomly take all of our entries on the air of the podcast and boom, pick a random winner. So that's all you have to do, send a question to hbabcock at coastline.family. And in the subject line, put I have a question for the podcast. We'll take the questions, organize them, answer them, and announce a winner live on air. So all you have to do, send a question. You're entered to win. And I hope you all get a copy of his book eventually. But we would love to give one away. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week and every week after that on the Coastline Covenant podcast.